So Holy Spirit, ask that you would use words I'm going to speak, the thoughts that we're going to think in these next few minutes to help us know how that passage applies to us. And God, I pray that tonight you would encourage us uh, where we feel discouraged, that you would put your courage into us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start with a question that was reflected in my prayer. Do you ever feel discouraged from time to time? Do you ever get discouraged? No? Okay, well, then we're done. So just go straight to communion. Maybe because of a problem at work. Maybe it's a health issue, a relationship issue, a financial issue. Maybe some volunteer thing that you're doing is not going very well. Do you ever get discouraged from time to time. Now, I know that for some of you, the answer to that question is no. You just never get discouraged. So to both of you, I would like to say the rest of us don't like you because most of us get discouraged at least on occasion. Now, if tonight you don't happen to be discouraged, well, then listen to this sermon, maybe to, for some tips for how to help other people who are discouraged, or maybe remember some of it for the next time that you get discouraged because I think most of us at some point feel discouraged about something. Every summer, my kids compete on a swim team. And during one of the meets every summer, the parents compete, which means I compete. And the heats are divided by age. And my category was 18 and over. Now, is that fair? Right? Like 18-year-olds versus me, who is 40-ish, right? And the first race was butterfly, which I don't even know how to do. And the, and the guy in the lane next to me this summer, I was getting up on the blocks. The guy in the lane next to me was 19 years old, and he was on the swim team at his university. So a 19-year-old university swimmer, right? Totally, I can take him, right? So we're getting up on the blocks, and he kind of looks at my middle-aged body, and he goes, whoa, good luck, man. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm really going to need it because I don't even know how to do the butterfly. And he goes, whoa, then really good luck, and, and, and don't get hurt. And then he snapped on his goggles and said, I'll be waiting for you at the end. <laughs> Shut up, Michael Phelps, right? Sure enough, when I got to the end of the race, there he was, out, dressed, reading a book, you know. Very discouraging. Do you ever get discouraged from time to time? Well, in the story that we're going to look at tonight, the prophet Elijah could basically write a book called How to Get Discouraged in Five Simple Steps. And I'd like to walk through this story a little bit at a time to learn how we can get discouraged too. And also the remedies that God gives us for discouragement. And to help us remember, the remedies will all start with the letter R. Aren't I clever? All right, the context for this is that the king and queen of Israel have been forcing people to uh, worship the false god named Baal, an idol named Baal. And last week we looked at a story where Elijah sets up a contest and says, whichever is the real god will send fire down from heaven. Baal doesn't do anything, doesn't answer. Then Elijah prays this simple prayer and whoosh, fire comes down from heaven. Pretty cool, huh? Well, the queen, who likes Baal, didn't like all this fire from heaven stuff, so she hired some hitmen to go kill Elijah. And we'll pick the story up from there. When Elijah finds out the queen's trying to kill him, it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And he prayed, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. You ever feel that way? Ever pray that way? Oh, man, I am done. I've had it. Lord, God, if you are so powerful, where are you? God, if you're all you cracked up to be, then how come my life is going the way it's going? God, I just quit. I give up. And here we come to the first step in Elijah's book, How to Get Discouraged, and that is to forget what God has done for you in the past. If you want to get discouraged, that's a great way to do it. 
Forget what God has done in the past. In Elijah's case, like say 24 hours earlier, God sent down fire from heaven. Okay, man, you would think that after that, when he heard that the queen was trying to kill him, his response would have been something like, oh, please, right, tell it to the hand. I call, I call down fire from heaven, right? But no, he gets discouraged. I mean, if last week when I was preaching, I had called down fire from heaven, I'd be pretty excited. So would you, right? Our pastor calls down fire from heaven. This is awesome, right? But as I told you last week, I didn't call down fire from heaven. Instead, at the 9 o'clock service, as I mentioned last week, when I tried to say English versions of the Bible, I ended up saying English virgins. And so all week long, folks have been giving me a hard time, starting last week at the 6 o'clock service when Jess said to me, Scott, I'm confused about Bible translations. Which is the best? Would you say the New International Virgin is the, you know... Starting there and all through the week, one woman said to me, well, maybe, maybe the English virgin was King James's daughter. <laughs> but, you know, I know enough about English history to know it definitely wasn't her, right? <laughs> Not her. But let's say that I had called down fire from heaven last week. I don't think I would get discouraged again until Wednesday when I had to start working on this sermon because we forget what God has done for us so quickly, don't we? So the remedy God gives us to help us overcome discouragement is the first R, and that is to remember. Remember the hard times in the past that he's helped you out of. Remember the good things he's brought into your life. Life is never 100% awful. It can be 98% awful, but there's always at least something good. Remember the good things in your life, friends, family, whatever it is. Remember who God is and remember his character, that he loves you no matter what, and that he can bring good things even out of the worst things. Remember what he has done. So, after Elijah runs away, the next thing that happens is it says he lay down and he fell asleep. And here we come to the second step of how to get discouraged, and that is wear yourself out. I mean, Elijah's tired, right? I mean, he's been challenging kings and queens, calling down fire from heaven. That's hard work, calling down fire from heaven, right? He's exhausted. Some of you are discouraged because you're tired. You're doing too many things. You're working too hard. Or you're volunteering for too many things. Yes, we should volunteer to be part of Jesus' rescue mission in the world, but not for everything. One or two things. Some of you are taking on greater burdens than God is asking. Like Elijah here, he says, I am no better than my ancestors. Well, who asked you to be, Elijah? Not God. Right? So the remedy that God gives us for this one is the second R, and that is to rest, which is what happens next. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Now notice what this angel does not say to him. The angel doesn't say, you know, you need to pray more, serve more, memorize more Bible verses, work harder. No, what does the angel do? The angel bakes him a cake of bread. So angel food cake, I guess. Right? <laughs> and it was right there, right? Low-hanging fruit. I had to do that one, right? And I don't even like angel food cake, so I don't think that would have helped Elijah at all. Anyway, and then the angel says, go back to sleep. Sometimes what you need the most is a walk on the beach or some good music or a good meal or read a good book and a, and a, and a light one at that, not, you know, how to overcome despondency or something like that, but, you know, Tom Clancy or, or, or maybe my wife's new book coming out in June. <laughs> Shameless plug. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. Sabbath. It's the Sabbath day. Go home. There's a little bit of, there's a few hours left in the Sabbath day. Go home and, and don't do the dishes just because you can. Because it's Sabbath, right? Rest, rest, rest. The Bible says that God's mercies are new 
every morning. So if you get to the end of the day and you are discouraged, that's because you've run out of that day's mercies. You need to go to sleep, get up the next day so you can get a fresh, fresh batch of mercy. Rest. So Elijah does that. He rests. Then, as the story goes on, the next thing that happens is he goes to Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? Well, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. So Elijah here has some expectations about what God's going to do. And then God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Oscar goes to, right, Elijah. And here we come to step three in how to get discouraged, and that is focus on the lies. Yes, it is true the queen is trying to kill him, and that is a bummer. But it's a lie that Elijah is believing that God is not still at work, that God's not doing something. And it's also a lie when he says, I'm the only one left. Candle and universal darkness, God. Aren't you proud of me? Right? And then just a few verses later, God has to remind him, no, Elijah, you're not the only one left. There are 7,000 people still left who are not following Baal. 7,000. And you can sort of see Elijah going, well, other than that, I'm alone. Right? Elijah is focusing on the devil's lie that God is not at work and that he's all alone. And that is a great way to get discouraged. So the remedy God gives us for this is the third R, and that is to replace the lies with God's truth. Now, by this, I don't mean, you know, think happy thoughts, whistle a happy tune, the sun will come out tomorrow, all that junk. No, I don't mean that. I don't mean ignore that life can be hard. No, sometimes life can be very difficult. But even in the middle of the difficult, what is, what is true about God and what is still true about the good things that are in your life? Yes, the marriage may be hard right now, but the lie that creeps in is my marriage can never get better. That's not true. God's truth is he heals marriages, and I have told you dozens of stories about how he's done that in this congregation. Maybe the job is hard right now. The lie the devil whispers is you're stuck in this forever. Or this means you're a failure. Or whatever. That's a lie that the devil whispers. God's truth is he can help you find joy, even the most difficult job, by using you in that place as part of his rescue mission. Or he can lead you to another job that is better for you. Or even if that doesn't happen, he can meet you and use you in all kinds of ways and you are valuable to him. And even when the worst what-if happens in our life, God can use that and bring good out of even the most awful things. You see, so much of discouragement is about what we focus on. Do we focus on the negative truths or do we focus on the positive truths about who God is and what God's doing? It's about focus. As you know, a couple of years ago, my wife was on Jeopardy. And when people ask her, how'd you do? I love the way she responds. She says, I came in third. Now think about it. How many contestants are there on Jeopardy? <laughs> but I just love her positive attitude, right? I got the bronze. So much of discouragement is about what we focus on. In fact, there's even an interesting study that shows that in the Olympics, bronze medalists are actually happier than silver medalists. You know why? Because silver medalists focus on how close they came to gold and didn't get it, whereas bronze medalists focus on how close they came to not getting a medal at all. And so they're grateful. So much of discouragement is about what we focus on. So replace the devil's lies with the truth about God. And if you have a hard time doing that, get others around you to remind you what's true about God and what's still good in your life. Okay, continuing on with the story. After Elijah gives his little speech about how he's the only one left, the next thing that happens is there's a wind and then a fire and then an earthquake, the text that Robbie read tonight. 
But the text says that God was not in any of those things. Instead, God showed up in a still, gentle whisper. And this brings us to step four in how to get discouraged, and that is to put God in a box. The fact that Elijah is at Mount Sinai means that he's got God in a box. You see, he's expecting God to show up the same way that he showed up for Moses. You know, earthquake, wind, fire, dramatic. Elijah's got these expectations. God, this is how you're going to talk to me, like this, this box. That's why he's at Mount Sinai. And instead, God shows up in this gentle whisper. The fact that Elijah is discouraged comes from the fact that he has God in a box. Because, you see, Elijah had a plan that after he called down fire from heaven, everyone would stop worshiping Baal and Elijah would be the hero. And when that plan didn't happen, Elijah got discouraged and assumed that God was not working in his life. But it wasn't God that let him down. It was his plan that let him down. When we put God in a box, we don't see all the ways that he is working in our lives. And a lot of times that's why we're discouraged. You know, because the job, the health, the finances, the relationship didn't work out the way that we thought it should. So we think that God is not at work. Because, you know, God exists to make my life happy and trouble-free and all of that, rather than God is always with me and will bring good out of even the hardest things. That's God in a box. Or we expect God to speak to us in certain ways. Like Elijah here, expecting God to speak in the same way that he spoke to Moses. And instead, God comes in a different way. Because sometimes God speaks in dramatic ways, you know, miracles, audible voices, ecstatic experiences of the Holy Spirit. Other times, he's very subtle. And if we confine God to our boxes, you only do this or you only speak this way, we will miss all the ways he's actually working and we'll get discouraged. So the fourth R, the fourth remedy for discouragement is to release God from the box you may have him in. And the way you do that is instead of praying, God, if you're God, you'll do this, you'll do X, you'll do Y, you'll do Z. Instead of praying that way, pray, Lord, how are you working here? Show me. And Lord, how are you speaking to me? Help me hear it. Because God speaks in all kinds of ways. Through scripture, thoughts in our head, what other people say to us, pictures in our minds, dreams, audible voices, miracles, you name it. And if God seems silent and inactive, sometimes it's because we are not listening for the ways that he is actually speaking. It's sort of like a common complaint some wives have of their husbands. They'll say, he just doesn't what? Well, in my case, my wife would say, he just doesn't rest enough between all the chores he does at home. I wish he'd take more time for him. Okay? But other wives' husbands, who have husbands that aren't as wonderful as moi, other, you believe that, right? Other wives' husbands sometimes complain he just doesn't Listen, sometimes the reason we don't hear God is we're not listening for the way he's talking and we don't think he's at work because we have expectations that he only works this way so we don't see the ways he's actually working. A man sent me an email a while back about how he went through a tough time financially. He was cheated out of a significant piece of business by a a client of his, then some of his stocks tanked, and then a, a major deal that he'd been working on for a couple of years fell apart. And he said he got profoundly discouraged, deep, deep discouragement, made it hard to continue to do his job. Well, one morning he was praying about this and he got a text message from his assistant about uh, a conference call later in the day. But when he went to respond to the text message, the response box was already filled in. So how does that happen? And what it said in the response box was, by the way you get here, no, it's not infallible, which doesn't even make any sense, right? And it's not the way he talks. But he pondered it a little bit, and he he said, you know what, it was weird, but it was also comforting. He said, I've been kicking myself for not having made the perfect business decisions, and this was like God telling me I'm not expected to be perfect. I'll stumble, I'll make mistakes, but I'll still get where God wants me to get. 
He said it was the first time that I actually felt a personal relationship with Jesus, his hand reaching to me personally. Okay, things didn't go the way this man had planned it. He had this terrible financial issue going on, right? But God was at work anyway and met him in a way that was a little bit out of the box for him. But when he could see that, it helped his discouragement. He felt God with them. Now, does God text us? I don't know. Why not? And if you don't think he texts us, well, maybe you got God in a box. Release him so that you can see the ways that he is working and it will help you overcome discouragement. Okay, let's finish Elijah's story. So God shows up in this gentle whisper. We don't know what that was. Maybe it was a sense of his presence or we don't know what it was, not how, what Elijah expected. And then when he, when, after this whisper, God says to Elijah for a second time, Elijah, what are you doing here? Which brings us to the last step in how to get discouraged, and that is to avoid the battles of life. See, when God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? He's not asking for information. What he's saying is, Elijah, why are you retreating from the battle? This is not where I'm going to restore you. So then God says one simple word, go. Go back the way you came and go anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. In other words, God is raising up a new king, which is good because the old king is very bad. And go anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, who becomes Elijah's assistant. You see, God has a plan. It's just not Elijah's plan. And after we've rested and after we have remembered what God has done and after we've replaced the lies with the truth and released God from the box and all the stuff I just talked about, the final way that God is most going to remedy our discouragement is through one last R, and that is when we return to the battles of life, as Elijah does here. Because that is where God is going to become most real to us. Not in the escape places, but in the battles of life. And I have had to learn this over and over again. I always think, you know, no, no, Maui, that's where God will meet me. Maui. Show up at Maui, Jesus, right? And so often God says, no, I'm going to meet you in the battles of your life. It's here in the press of my job. It's in the press of my family life. It's in the places of struggle that God becomes most real for me, not in the escape places. Yes, we should rest, but then we need to return to the battles of life. Psalm 23 says this, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table before me. Not on the sidelines, not in the escape places, not on vacation, in the presence of my enemies. And you get this picture of a picnic table in the middle of a battlefield with arrows whizzing all over the place, right? And there's Jesus saying, come on, let's eat. Jesus meets us in the battles of life, and then he gives us what we need in order to overcome them. In Elijah's case, he gets Elisha as an assistant, so he no longer has to feel alone. God says, return to that marriage that's hard. Return to that volunteer thing that you're discouraged with. Return to that job or the job market. Return to the battles of life. And it may not be easy. In fact, it may be very difficult. But I will be with you and I will do great things. Remember what God has done. Rest. Replace the lies with God's truth. Release God from whatever boxes you have him in. And return to the battles of life and he'll meet you there. A woman in our church told me a story about Christmas Eve a couple of years ago. And her husband had died two months earlier, and she was still in a lot of grief, a lot of pain. But she was trying to make Christmas normal, so she had invited her adult children and extended family over for Christmas Eve dinner. And she basically had kept from breaking down the last two months just by being really busy with all the preparations, basically exhausting herself. Then on the morning of Christmas Eve, she forced herself out of bed, threw on her sweats, not caring what she looked like, and headed out to get the Christmas ham. Well, as she was standing in this long line early in the morning at Honey Baked Ham, suddenly 
she started to sob loudly and uncontrollably over her grief at the loss of her husband. I'll pick the story up in her words. She said, I just felt this heavy darkness come over me and all I wanted to do was go home and go to bed for the rest of the day, maybe even forever. So after making everyone in honey-baked ham very uncomfortable with my sobbing, I got in my car, drove home, asking God how in the world I could get through this day, let alone through the rest of my life. But then the strangest thing happened. As I approached the gas station near my home where I always get gas, I heard a voice in my head and felt the tug that I needed to get gas. Well, that was the last thing I wanted to do. I was on my way to bed. I was in grief. The gas tank was over halfway full. I remember thinking, this is stupid. I just want to go to bed and I don't even need gas. But the nudge just kept getting stronger. So I pulled in, mumbling under my breath about how stupid it was, put my credit card in the pump, and for the only time in my life, the machine said there was something wrong with my card and I'd have to see the attendant. Well, all I could think was I didn't want to be here in the first place, and whose joke was this? So I went inside, and there was a woman I'd never seen before and I've never seen since. She took my card and told me that the pump would now work. So I went out, filled up my tank with tears streaming down my face. When I went back in and reached for my card, she touched my hand in a way that made me stop. And she looked at me like no one has ever looked at me, straight into my soul. And she said very slowly, someone loves you so much. And then she smiled the most ethereal smile I'd ever seen. Well, suddenly I felt an overwhelming physical feeling of that darkness lifting and a whoosh of love and warmth flow through me as I choked out a tearful thank thank you and I left. Miraculously, when I got home, I was energized and looking forward to my time with family to celebrate Jesus' birth. I didn't go to bed. Instead, I ended up having a great Christmas as we all held close and remembered our special times together as a family with my husband and their dad. I never saw that woman before, and I never saw her again. And in retrospect, I realized that gas station is usually closed at that hour in the morning. So it was very weird that it was open anyway. I am convinced in my heart that God came down into my world that day, took me to that gas station to meet an angel that he had sent in answer to my prayer and to let me know that I was loved and would never have to face my pain alone, that he was always with me. When this woman had forgotten that God was at work, God helped her remember When she was exhausted, God gave her rest. When she was hearing the lie that life would never get better and that she was alone, God replaced the lie with the truth that he was with her. She released God from the boxes she had him in and allowed God to speak to her in kind of an out-of-the-box way. I mean, a gas station attendant, for heaven's sake, slash angel. And then she returned to the battles of life, but this time equipped to handle the pain and the grief that she had to face. So, where are you discouraged today? Or if you're not discouraged, who do you know that is discouraged? Or remember this for a time when you are discouraged. And how can you then remember what Jesus has done? Rest, replace the lies with God's truth, release God from whatever boxes you've got him in, and return to the battles of life knowing that God is going to meet you there. I heard a pastor talk about how people in his church send him stories from their lives for him to use as sermon illustrations from their lives. Only his is a small church. Some of you do that, but his is a small church. And so whenever he's telling one of these stories, everyone's always looking around trying to figure out who it is, right? Well, this one day, the pastor quoted Thoreau's famous saying, most men live lives of quiet desperation, at which point a woman in the front row got all perky and nudged her husband and said, oh, listen, dear, this one's you. (laughs) Bummer, right, when your wife says that to you? Not true. Here is the thing. God does not want us to live lives of quiet desperation. On the contrary, he gives us the power we need to rise above our discouragement. 
It's what he promises to us through the prophet Isaiah, where he says that they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not faint. He gives strength to the weary, and he gives power and courage and joy to those who call upon his name. And if you are sitting there thinking, that promise applies to everyone in this room except for me. What Jesus would want to say to you tonight is, no, 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 no. This applies especially to you, especially tonight. Communion is a great reminder of that, that God came himself to die for our sins and be raised from the dead, showing that he can take even the worst things and turn them around and use them for good. And he left us communion as a reminder. Remember the good things about God as a reminder that he is always with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. When you are at the top of your game, he is with you celebrating. When you are in the depths of despair, he is with you there and he is working for your good, even if you can't see it at the time. And everything in between, he is with you and he loves you and he believes in you and he is never going to let you go. So that when peace like a river attendeth your way, our sorrow as sea billows roll. Whichever it is, the presence of Jesus can teach us to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Because I am my father's son. I am my father's daughter. Whom then shall I fear? Jesus, thank you so much for this reminder that we are more than conquerors through you, that there is no weapon formed against us that can remain. And so, Lord, as we come to communion tonight, my prayer would be that as we participate in this as we listen to the songs, as we sing, as we pray. God, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. And Lord, I pray for the people in this room that are not discouraged tonight, that they are on the top of their game. God, would you help them celebrate with you and give thanks to you? Maybe call to their minds someone who is discouraged that they can maybe help. And then Lord, for the people in this room tonight who feel discouraged as we come to communion, I ask that you would put your courage into them in Encourage them, Lord, and make their hearts strong and bold and brave through your power for the facing of the days they have to face. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.